The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Our scripture reading today is Hebrews 7, 11 through 22. Please stand with me as I read God's word. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right, everyone. So I'd like to welcome Brian Huber to the stage. Everybody say hi, Brian. All right. So I've known Brian for a very long time. Lots of stories I can tell off uh, stage sometime about him. If you wish to know, I like doing it. He knows this is true. Um, so I would just uh, put Brian before you today um, just to preach your word as um, our normal lead pastor, John Davis, is actually helping with one of the networks that we're a part of, helping do something with them this weekend. And then he'll actually be gone next weekend as well on vacation. So pray for John as you think of it. But I just want to pray for Brian before he starts, okay? Um, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for Brian. Um, God, would you just give him yourself? Um, Lord, we just bind the enemy from this place and we just ask that you would just put um, walls around this time so that we could hear from you and that we would be changed by you. I pray that you would use his word, uh, his words and his energy. I pray that you would use this text in your spirit and that you would teach us, encourage us and build us up to be more faithful to you tomorrow because of your work in us today. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you, John. Likewise, I could tell a lot of stories about John Kleinschmidt, so um, let me know uh, if you've got the time. Um, many of you know, my wife's name is Amanda. I have three kids, Audrey, Benjamin, and Caleb. Uh, they're not with us this morning. They're, they're at a grandparent's house. But if they were with us uh, on our way home today or at lunch, we would likely ask them, uh, Audrey, Benjamin, Caleb, what are some things... Uh, we usually say, what are some things you, you heard Jonathan talk about today? Jonathan's our, our lead, lead pastor. He preaches most of the time. We'd ask, what did you hear Jonathan talk about today? What are some words you've heard? 
And oftentimes they're spot on. Like they will say something and it's like, yes, Jonathan did say that word. Uh, sometimes it's like the main point. So it's like, yes, you kind of got the main, main idea, the main words of the sermon. And sometimes it's a story Jonathan says that doesn't have much to do with the main point, but uh, they heard the word nonetheless. And I imagine we've been in Hebrews for a while now. I could ask you similar things. If I were to ask you, what are some things that we have heard the author of the book of Hebrews say? And likely that list would include Jesus Christ, priest, Moses, high priest, Melchizedek, salvation. A lot of those words have come up again and again and again. But I think maybe a word we've heard more than that is the word better. Better, better, better. That's been a theme in Hebrews that Jesus Christ is better than X, Y, and Z. So why would you return to X, Y, and Z? Stick with the better thing. And this morning, it's a continuation of that theme. My main idea this morning, I believe the text's main idea is this. That Jesus Christ, our great high priest, gives us a better hope Why? Because he saves sinners, something the other priest in the law could never do. Jesus Christ, our great high priest, gives us a better hope because he saves sinners, something the other priest in the law could never do. I'd like you to recall last week's sermon. Jonathan uh, preached the first part of chapter 7. And who did he talk about? Melchizedek. He said the word Melchizedek a lot because that's what the the text was about. It was about a guy named Melchizedek. And if you will recall, Melchizedek is an Old Testament figure. He was alive during the time of Abraham. Uh, Melchizedek was a king of a town called Salem, which uh, is, is Jerusalem. He was the king of Salem. Salem means peace, so he's the king of peace. So he was a king of a town called Salem. He was a king. But also the text says that he was a priest of God Most High. So one man is a king, and he's also a priest. Now, Jonathan said last week that Melchizedek was was greater than Abraham. Because Abraham, after he, he won a battle, after he won a war, he came back and he met Melchizedek, and he paid Melchizedek a tithe. And in return, Melchizedek blessed Abraham. So it's this lesser and greater, right? Abraham pays the tithe to Melchizedek. Melchizedek blesses Abraham. So the author's point was Melchizedek is is greater than Abraham. And Jonathan's point last week was that Melchizedek's priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood. Uh, In fact, Levi's great-grandfather was was Abraham, and Abraham was the one paying tithe. So the, the author's argument was this was that really Levi was paying a tithe to Melchizedek because Levi wasn't born yet. And the text says he was, uh, verse 10, still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Jonathan didn't talk too much about that verse. I was really hoping he, he would have. But uh, uh, Levi was still in the loins of his ancestor, Abraham, when Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek. And Jonathan's main point was that the priesthood of Jesus, the priesthood of Jesus is superior to the priesthood of the Levites. Now, I'd encourage you this morning. We have a a pretty long text in front of us. I'd like you to keep your Bible open if you have it. Uh, Open to Hebrews chapter 7. 
I'm going to go along in the text. I've got some points I'm going to highlight, and I think you'd be served well if you were able to track along. So our author continues his argument in verse 11. Read with me, if you will. Verse 11. Now, if perfection... Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? So my first point this morning, and the author starts out this way, is that we have a problem that the priest and the law could not fix. Point one, we have a problem that the priest and the law could not fix. He says, we need perfection. If perfection was able, be able to be achieved in the old way of doing things, with the old priesthood, why is there a new priest on the scene? And that rhetorical question leads us to believe that perfection could not be attainable in the former priesthood. He mentions that there is a problem with the old order, the Levitical priesthood, now remember, the Levitical priesthood didn't, didn't just originate out of, out of nowhere. God established this Levitical priesthood. So this is a, a doing of God. And by this time that the author was writing, by buying bath and some, some quick study, the Levitical priesthood had been around for 1,500 years. So a long time, these Levites were, were sacrificing, making offerings to God. Now the priests had many jobs. These Levitical priests had many jobs. But one of their main roles was to represent humans, represent Israel before God. And one of their main jobs was to offer sacrifice for sin. In order that sin would be atoned for, there would be a right relationship between God and man. Now we'll read later in Hebrews that these sacrifices, they, they were never really sufficient to remove sin. And even we see here, I mean, the, the author saying, we need perfection, the old way couldn't offer it. See, friends, my first point this morning is that we need perfection. We need perfection. We need to be perfect. Why? Because God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. He's, he's, he's perfect. And because of his nature, perfection, he can't be around, around sin. I mean, Jesus even mentions this. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew records this. Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And what, he's, what I think Je Jesus is trying to do there is say, like, he's, he's raising the bar. Like, you need to be perfect. Now we see that Jesus makes a way for this, and that's part of my sermon. But I'm here to tell you that no offense, because I'll say the same thing to me, is that we aren't perfect. I mean, that might be the, the no-brainer statement that I say today, that we, we aren't perfect. We're sinners by birth because our, the first, first man, Adam, sinned. Therefore, humanity was plunged into sin. We're sinners by birth. We're sinners by choice. We make choices. We choose to sin. We normally don't desire, naturally don't desire the things of God. And even the smallest sin, the smallest sin separates us from God. So how can a holy God be around sin? And the answer is he can't. In our natural state, we go through life, again, natural state, pre-Christ, we go through life alienated from God, and what happens when we die, we're separated from God forever. And I love starting out our sermon with bad news, but that is bad news. That's bad news. The author is saying that perfect, the perfection we so needed 
could not be accomplished by this old priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, the old way of doing things. Now, this doesn't mean that the Levitical priesthood was sinful because who, who implemented it? God through, through Moses. It just wasn't the forever fix. It wasn't meant to be. I want to quote a commentator. He's talking about this. This is Stuart Oliott. And he said this. He's talking about the Levitical priesthood. I want you to hear this. The whole system was temporary and imperfect. It consisted of types, that is, of pictorial prefigurements of spiritual realities, not the realities itself. It was therefore weak, of no permanent value, and totally unable to bring anything to perfection. The point of the Levitical system was not to be an end in itself, but to keep alive a better hope and bring it in. The Levitical priesthood was temporary, never meant to be the end all, and it couldn't give us perfection. Well, the good news, friends, is that Christ's priesthood brings change. Let's read verse 12. For when there is a change in priesthood, and that's what the author is arguing and has argued, there's a different priest on the scene, a better priest, a different type of priest, a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. When there is a change in the priesthood, there's necessarily a change in the law as well. The Bible's full of good news. This is one of those verses. My second point is Christ's priesthood is better and it brings change. Christ's priesthood is better and it brings change. So why is Christ's priesthood better? Well, I've got a list of why Christ's priesthood is, is better. First, Christ is from a different tribe. Read verse 13 with me. For the one of whom these things are spoken, this is Jesus, belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Now this might not seem like a big deal, but it is. See, priests only came from the tribe of Levi. If you were an Israelite you couldn't, and you were not a part of the tribe of Levi, you couldn't like follow your dreams and become a priest. You couldn't because you weren't born in the tribe of Levi. And also, the tribe of Judah, what is the tribe of Judah known for? Producing, uh, producing kings, right? Saul, David, Solomon, tribe of Judah. So in Israel society, functions were very defined. Like priests were priests. And kings were kings. There, there was no, like, priest-king. But now, the author says, we have a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And who was Melchizedek? King of Salem, king, and priest of God Most High. So this new category, this new type, this better type of priest, priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So Christ's priesthood is better because Christ is from a different tribe, he is a different type of priest. He is a priest and a king. Second reason why Christ's priesthood is better. Read verse 15 with me. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, that is to say his, his genealogy, not because he's from the tribe of Levi, but he comes a priest by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So here we see Christ has become a priest 
not because of genealogy, not because he was a tribe of Levi, not because of his bloodline, but by the nature of Christ having an indestructible life. Now, how is Christ indestructible? Now, one, one might think, and my, my natural first thought was like, well, Jesus died, he was raised again because he was, he was raised from the dead, he's indestructible. But after reading some, some commentators, a, a commentator in particular, I think the reason Christ is indestructible, he has an indestructible life, is not because of who he is, uh, that he was raised from the dead, but who he is, that he's divine. He's the second person of the Trinity. So by nature of being God, he cannot cease to exist. So Christ has an indestructible life. Indestructible life. And God also says of Jesus, now this is God speaking of Jesus, you are a priest forever. And if God says forever, what do you think God means? Forever. This is something that my mind has a hard time with. Like, I can only reference 37 years. I, I, I don't get forever. When I think about eternity, I, I just, my mind spins and I have to stop. But Jesus Christ is a high priest forever. High priest forever. And this is, and there's something comforting in permanence, right? It's not changing. This is permanent. The other priests died. They are frail. They are weak. They failed, they died, they're sinful, but Christ lives forever. Christ's priesthood is better because Christ continues and will continue in being our high priest because he has an indestructible life and will live forever. Third reason, Christ is a better priest. Christ's priesthood is better because Christ draws us near to God. Verse 18, for on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Christ is a better priest because Christ draws us near to God. And this was the point of a priest, right? What was the point of a priest? To draw people near to God, to reconcile God and man, to represent men before God and represent God before men. But the old priesthood wasn't perfect and it couldn't perfectly bring in this fellowship with God that we needed. I mean, recall the temple. The temple, if you ever look at it like a map or read about the temple, like there's different areas. And what was like the most important area of the temple? The, the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. And then this, this, is, this is the room. It was separated by a curtain, I believe. And, and it was a room that the high priest went in once a year to make a sacrifice for Israel. Who could only go in there? The high priest. When could he go in there? Once a year. So really, Israel could not truly, fully, and completely draw near to God. But Jesus gives us a better hope, one in which we can draw near to God. And I love this visible illustration in the book of Matthew. Matthew says this, In Jesus, this is when he was on the cross, he cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit, and behold what happened. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And what does this show us? That Christ's death accomplished something. That we could not draw near fully, completely, and truly, could not draw near to God. But what happens? Christ's death. Temple, that curtain is torn to the Holy of Holies. And we have access to God. Jesus is our mediator between God and man. He connects us to God the Father, and we can draw near to God through Christ. Christ's priesthood is better because Christ draws us near to God. Fourthly, 
Don't worry, we won't get to like 26thly or anything like that. Fourthly, Christ was appointed by God with an oath for eternity. Christ's priesthood is better because Christ was appointed by God with an oath for eternity. Verse 20, and it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Now, if you recall, I've, I've said this a couple times, every priest that became a priest was from the tribe of Levi. And the only reason they became a priest, well, one of the main reasons they became a priest was they were from the tribe of Levi. He became a priest by his genealogy, by his birth, by his bloodline. But Christ was made to be a high priest, not by his birth or genealogy so much. He wasn't from the tribe of Levi. But why? Because God made him a priest with an oath. With an oath. An oath is permanent, unchanging, based on the character of the one making the oath. And God, who doesn't lie and isn't changing, make this, makes this oath. So Christ Jesus isn't a priest just because he was born in some tribe. He's a priest because God made him a priest with an oath, by an oath for eternity. So there's some finality to what the author is saying. Like, I think we should feel finality. We should feel permanence. This is final. It's a done deal. This is how it is. Christ Jesus is a better priest than he's our priest. Christ's priesthood is better because Christ has been appointed by God with an oath and he will be a priest forever. Lastly, Christ's priesthood is better because Christ guarantees a better covenant because we have a better priest. Verse 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Now we'll hear more about this next week. John Kleinschmidt's preaching. I don't want to steal any of his thunder. But as the author said in the beginning, because there's a change in the priesthood, there's a change in the order of priesthood, there's a change in the law. And this takes us from the old covenant that Moses inaugurated. And we talk about this old covenant. This is the law and the priests. He takes us from that old covenant to a new covenant that Christ inaugurates. A covenant whereby we're not saved by our works because truly none of us can be saved by our works because perfection, we need perfection. Our works aren't perfect. We're not saved by works, but what are we saved by? By grace through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what this change in the priesthood, change in the law thing is. There's, there's a new covenant. So in summary, Christ's priesthood is better because he guarantees a better covenant. Christ's priesthood is better because he guarantees a better covenant. Now, now this, this whole section, I mean, maybe it's just me, but it feels meaty, meaty, like there's a lot there. And it's not one of those things where you can like read it quickly and be like, got it. What the author wants us to know is that Jesus Christ is the great high priest that we so desperately need. And he's the great high priest that can bring us into relationship with God. No other great high priest, no other high priest could do this. Jesus is a better type of priest. He's of a different order. The priesthood has changed and we have a much better hope, a hope in which we draw near to God. And, and guess what? There's more. 
So not only is the, the above true, like what we've, what we've read so far, what Tara read for us this morning, not only is the above true about Jesus' priesthood being better, but the author, he goes on to talk about how Jesus' ministry is better and how Jesus' character is better. And this brings me to my third point. I'm going to finish out this chapter. This brings me to my third point. Christ is our continuously interceding high priest. Christ is our continuously interceding high priest. Read verse 23 with me. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, meaning Christ Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So the author of Hebrews is saying that the old priests, they had a limited amount of time. They died because they were human. They couldn't be a priest anymore because they're dead. I mean, it makes sense, right? But Jesus, Jesus is a permanent priest because he lives forever. He always lives. He doesn't stop being a priest. And the text says that he makes intercession. So he is able to save those who draw near to God through him. Now, as a reminder, Christ, when we talk about his priestly work, so a general way of categorizing what Christ did and who Christ is, that he's a prophet, he's a priest, and he's a king. We talk about Christ's priestly work. And we can generalize it in two categories. First, uh, his, his priestly work has the first component of his self-sacrifice on the cross. So the atoning work of Jesus Christ, whereby we, whereby he, being the perfect sacrifice, he willingly substituted himself for us on the cross. He offered himself to God as a perfect and acceptable sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. So that's his first part of his, his priestly work, is, is the sacrifice that he offered. But the second is this, is his intercessory work. His intercessory work. Whereby he advocates for his people. He advocates for us. He pleads for us. Now, when we talk about this intercession, you know, this is kind of mysterious. Like, how does Christ plead for us? I don't think it's this. He doesn't do what my youngest son, Caleb, says. He'll say this, and it's so cute, but it's so annoying at the same time when he wants something, he'll say, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. Christ Jesus is not saying, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. What is he doing? I think he's, he's, he's going to God the Father, pointing to his finished work on the cross and pleading on our behalf. Not, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, but uh, I've done this. I've saved people. I've made a perfect sacrifice on the cross. Please apply it to these believers' lives. I don't know, that's mysterious. There's a little conjecture in there, but I'm almost positive it's not a please, a please, a please, a please. And the text says that he is able to save to the uttermost. How many of you have used the word uttermost this year or ever? Uttermost. From what I can tell, uh, reading commentators, this is like a Greek idiom. It's really hard to just translate um, into, into English. So I looked up some different versions. ESV says, save to the uttermost. 
Another version says forever. They're able to save forever. Another version in that, that footnote says save completely. Save for all time. Save once and forever. So what I think the text is saying is this. Uttermost. Friends, you've got to hear this. No matter what you've done, mistakes you've made, years you've wasted, Christ can save you. And those he saves, he saves forever. And he intercedes on your behalf. And you've, you've got to hear this, especially if you don't know Christ. You can be forgiven. You might not understand it. You might think, nope, I'm too far gone. Nope, I've wasted my life. I don't even know why I'm here. You've got to hear this. You can be forgiven. And for those of you who don't, who don't know Christ yet, this is incredible news. But believer in Christ, this is good news for you as well. You're, you're saved forever. You're saved to the uttermost. You're saved completely. You're saved once for all time, once and forever. When we talk about this word, the uttermost, again, odd phrase, but a commentator says this. What is in view here is the impermissibility of setting any limit to the salvation that Christ completely procured in his death and lives to bestow in its totality. His people dare not even draw a line in their own minds, saying to themselves, well, he helped me today, but will he help me tomorrow? Or he helped me in this need, but will he help me in that? Or, well, he forgave me in this sin before, but will he do so again? No. He will ever live as their Savior. He will never fail them or forget them. It's from a commentator named Huel Jones. And that's amazing news. Christ is steadfast, he's reliable, he can be counted on, he's always interceding, he's caring, he's able to make intercession, and there is no limit to his grace, his mercy, or forgiveness. Christ is our continuously interceding high priest. And as we round out the text this morning, that not only is his ministry better, like what he's doing, like he's interceding in a way that no priest could before, Christ is our perfect high priest. We started with perfection, our need for perfection. Now we see that Christ is perfect. Verse 26, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made priest forever. So it bears noting that Christ, what we talked about earlier, he's from a different tribe, not only was Christ from a different tribe, not only does he have an indestructible life, not only was he appointed by God with an oath, not only is a, he a priest forever, and not only was he like relatively better than the other priests, because better is a relative word. Like to be better than someone, you just have to be better by this much. Not only was he relatively better, Jesus Christ is of a totally different 
in perfect character. He, he is perfect. The text says he's holy. He's he set apart. He's devout. He's pious in a way that we, we never, never would be on our own. He's innocent. He's not guilty of sin. He's, not, he's unstained. He's not defiled by sin. He is sinless. He's separated from sinners. He's a different, he's better. He's a class unto himself. He's exalted above, the, exalted above the heavens. He's in heaven. He's in the presence of God the Father. Friends, this is the high priest we need. This is the high priest we need. You don't want any, any Tom, Dick, or Harry being your high priest. You want the best representing you. You want Jesus Christ. You need Jesus Christ who in himself is perfect. And not only is Christ of a better character, but secondly, Jesus Christ has offered a better sacrifice. <laughs> Excuse me. The text also says he doesn't have to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins or the sins of the people. Why? Since he himself did this once for all when he offered himself up. See, friends, Christ, we talk about interceding. He keeps interceding. But you know what Christ doesn't do? He doesn't keep sacrificing. Christ keeps interceding. He doesn't keep sacrificing. The work he did on the cross, he did once, and it was sufficient to save everyone who would come to Christ. And of these sacrifices, like the, the sacrifices the Levites did the author will later say, he says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, what did he do? He sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God. His work's finished. It's done. It's complete. Jesus is perfect. He offered himself as the perfect once-for-all sacrifice. And his work is finished. Jesus is our perfect high priest. So friends, I, I love the book of Hebrews. I think I love it for many reasons. But one of the reasons is the author just says, here, look at Christ. Look at Christ. Here, just look at Christ. This is what Christ has done. This is who he is. In these verses, he made a comparison between the old priesthood and Christ's priesthood. And I want us to remember what these verses started out with. The need for perfection, right? The old way didn't offer perfection, but now we have a perfect high priest who brings about a better hope, who's offered a single perfect sacrifice that forgives our sins, who intercedes for us. Friends, Jesus Christ, our great high priest, gives us salvation, which is found nowhere else. We have a great high priest he offers us hope. He offers us salvation. So friends, if you've never taken him up in his offer, please do so. There's forgiveness. There's reconciliation that can be found. So run to Christ. Trust in his sacrifice. Ask him to save you and hold fast to him because there's no greater hope than the hope of eternal life he gives. And believers, if Christ has saved you, keep trusting in him and him alone for your salvation. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, our great high priest, who's made a way for us to be reconciled to you. I we confess we are not perfect. Lord, we sin.
And we realize that we need a Savior. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to do that work. Father, I pray that you would bring salvation to those who don't know you. I pray that you would bring salvation to those who don't know you, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would give assurance to those of us who do. God, where I have failed, please bring understanding. Father, let me and let us rest in Christ's finished work and in your love for us. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.